Welcome to a brand new episode of Views of an X Podcast, and I'm your host, Lama. I'd like to thank y'all all for tuning in. It's each and every week I bring y'all an episode of Somebody Talking About the X. This week, we're up to episode 62. Before we get into that, let's talk about 61 with Hollywood Anderson. This guy was toxic. I was not expecting that when I was interviewing him. He's a lively, funny guy, and um, he's very just animated. So I was expecting him to be that, but I thought his story would be something totally different. Plenty of you enjoyed the episode. Y'all gave me feedback saying how funny he was and that he's very toxic, like I said, and that y'all remember him off American Idol. So that was good. That was good to know and good to hear. And last but not least, shout out to Hollywood for wanting to use clips of the episode to put on his upcoming album called Toxic Baby. He is a very talented artist, so I know whatever he puts out is going to be good. I can't wait to hear it. It comes out soon, he says, and I'll just be on the lookout for it. And I'll tell y'all and keep y'all informed. So now on to today's episode is 62 featuring the former CEO of True Religion and the former CEO of American Apparel, Chelsea Grayson. Now, the reason why I reached out to Chelsea is because I read an article around the same time J-Lo and A-Rod was going through their business about how wealthy and rich people fail at relationships. So I got to work. I'm like, who do I know that I can ask this question to and still have them tell a story about a past relationship? So I reached out to Chelsea. Because from what I gather, she's very open and honest about her past living and how she is today. So I was like, she might have a good story. Plus, me being the curious person I am, I was wondering how she managed to raise two kids, be married, and still focus on her career of being a lawyer. Because that's a lot. So I was super glad that she accepted to do my podcast. And I was low-key scared because I was like, is she going to talk about her divorce? Or is she going to talk about a little relationship she's been in on the side or whatever? Nope, she talks about her divorce and she's been with this guy for a long, long time. And they raised two kids and she got to be this big top lawyer all in the process. I hope y'all enjoy the story. This is episode 62 featuring Chelsea Grayson. And also, if you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the podcast. It helps me out and it helps this podcast grow. And before I dip out of here, I still have merch available. My Peace Matter shirts are still available. Bobby and Whitney and Nancy Khalees ones, I have like a few left. If y'all are interested, they are on the website. And also my Still Healing Please Wait hoodies, long sleeves, and short sleeves are still available on the site. So if you're interested, please check that out. I'm out of here. I'll see y'all next week. Bye. All right, ready. And do you cool. have your pants on? Because that was funny. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> I was like, I do the same thing. When I have to do Zoom meetings, I'm like, I do the same thing. I have do a top. Have so I'll be in the underwear. I'm like, forget that. <laughs> but thank you for coming on the podcast. So yeah, of course. we know each other from Ariana's uh, clubhouse. Go to hell. Go, go to hell morning show. Yes. Shout out to Ariana. She's coming back. That was the announcement today. Oh, what did I missed it? So, well, yeah. I saw she had an announcement, but what? She's coming back to Clubhouse? Mo- yeah, Monday. Oh, you're kidding. With yeah, the, yeah. Same, the same show, the same yes. thing? So, she had to take a little boycott, and some people reached out to her. Yeah. So, she's coming back to Clubhouse. But she's wow. still going to do IG Live. So, that's good. Amazing. I might not be able to get back there. Boy, as the much Clubhouse? as I love everybody. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I took another board seat. 
you know, I sit on boards. Yeah. Primarily. And I took a board seat that has um, a lot. There's a lot going on with this company. Mm-hmm. And the main shareholder is a Chinese fund. So I've been having bookended calls surrounding my day. So my days are starting really early and then mm-hmm. kind of going into the night. So Man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it back to her stage. Busy, busy lady. Yeah. But thank you for taking your time to do this. So the reason why I reached out, right? Let me pull up this thing. I read a study like a few weeks ago, right okay. before I, right before I hit you up, and it was saying that um, rich people are less likely to be, uh, so they lack empathy and and fail at relationships, right? <laughs> a rich really? rich successful people is a study shown that rich successful people are less likely to uh, do good in relationships. So I was like, really? I want to know um, if I could get somebody on that can like talk about their relationship or one that they they were in in the past. So I was thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'm like, I sit in the clubhouse room with Chelsea every day. Maybe I should reach out to her. And I'm like, and then... The resident rich person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm looking at your IG and I'm like, all right, she's with Frank. You're so open about Frank and everything. I was like, she has two kids. Yep. And I wanted to know how she managed to be married be in a previous marriage with these two kids and do what she does. So I was like, let me reach out to her and see if she'll come on my podcast. Yeah, um, well, you know, I'm divorced, <laughs> so obviously not very well. But uh, I'm remarried to Frank, of course, but those aren't his kids. Those are my ex-husband's kids. Right, I guess right. We're Jones. So that's what we're talking about today, him, Jones. <laughs> that's what you want to name yeah. him? Well, I think, yeah, I think that's what, it, yeah, whatever. We can name him whatever you want, but, you know, he knows who he is. <laughs> Um, yeah, you came up with the name Jones. What did you have a reason why you, you chose that? It was just random. Uh, well, I, my law firm that I was a partner at for twenty years, where I ran mergers and acquisitions, was called mm-hmm. Jones Day. So oh, okay, my okay. memories are from that firm. So I just was like, oh, Jones, okay. Oh, and I, when I was a partner there, is when well, <clears throat> when I was practicing as a lawyer there, and just up until I made partner, that's when I was married to my ex husband. So wow, and yeah, I've been together for a while. So, we, I mean, when I was 17, and then we got divorced at the age of when I was 35. That's a long ass time. God damn. We're going to get into that. So we're going to get into the story. First, we want to tell the people who you are. Okay. Now, a short brief of what you do, because we could be here all day if you go down the list. But um, just tell people who you are and some of the things okay. you do. Yeah. So I, ha- I always say I've, I've had three chapters to my career. So first chapter I just alluded to, I was... I'm a recovering lawyer. So for the first two decades of my career, I was uh, a partner at the law firm Jones Day and where I ran mergers and acquisitions. And so that's just buying and selling companies, some public deals, uh, some private equity deals. I also be just a little bit before that where I was taking companies public, whether it was an IPO or even all the way back then we had SPACs. They didn't just get invented. I was doing SPACs all the way back in the day. So Anyway, so a lot of that work. And then I was recruited to leave Jones Day and join American Apparel as the general counsel. And this was just at the moment that American Apparel was having its famous fight with its founder and CEO. There's a cold crisis. There was a liquidity crisis. The company was losing a lot of money. So I got brought in as the sort of new guard at the company to bring some order to all the chaos. So I was the general counsel there for about a year. Got to know one of the main bondholders really well, which happened to be Goldman Sachs. Oh, wow. 
we weren't going to be able to make our payment on the next bond, the next bond payment with Goldman Sachs. So I negotiated a debt for equity swap with them, took the company uh, private with Goldman Sachs through a pre-range chapter 11. And when we came out the other end of the, when we emerged from our chapter 11 successfully, Goldman Sachs said, we'd like to promote you to the CEO position because you've done so well for us so far. So then I became the CEO of American Apparel Went along my business for a few years. They gave me a big budget to implement a lot of my strategic initiatives and leave other sort of half implemented as breadcrumbs. We beautified the company to go to market. We sold that company to Gildan, which is probably in the back of a lot of your t-shirts. Yeah. I don't use Gildan, but yes. (laughs) Right, It's a big wholesale apparel company. Yes. And then, um, then they said to me, okay, now you're out of American Apparel. We also own True Religion, the jeans the horseshoe on your yeah. butt, which either made your I butt amazing or not. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Cause I'm gone now because I left about a year and a half ago. I did what I, so they said, look, we own that company. Will you come long story short? Will you come be the CEO there? And also um, a board member. So I went over to true religion, ran that until about it just before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, which like is good. Great. Because <laughs> <laughs> not being, not running a retailer during COVID was amazing. Right. Um, right. And then stepped away. So that was sort of the second chapter of my career, the American Apparel True Religion years. Now I'm in the third chapter. Um, I'll be 50 this October. So this is sort of, this is the time when you need to start moving into, what are you looking at as like your long-term Mm semi-retirement? So that's what I'm in now. So I now sit on uh, boards of directors, mostly for a living, mostly public company boards. Mm-hmm. So I sit on the Spark Networks board, which is traded on the New York Stock Exchange. We own a bunch of big dating apps. I sit on oh, wow. the board of Rio Health, which owns, which is a big cannabis multi-state operator. We grow, distribute cannabis. We're vertically integrated. We own all of our own grows. And then um, I sit on a couple of private company boards as well. And I'm also an executive in residence with a pre-IPO stage marketing technologies company. Mm-hmm. So that's performance marketing, really. Um, I love I love to keep my hand in that side of uh, tech and marketing yeah. um, capabilities. I sit on the board of visitors at the U- at UCLA for the English department, which is where I took my degree. Man, <laughs> you do it all. Yeah, and I'm an advisor to a venture capital fund. And still so find time to, to sit with us and joke around, and I don't know how you do it. I adore you guys. And I'm like, I wish I could return to her stage. Maybe once in a while I'll come back. It's just yeah. took over after she left. It like the void got filled very quickly. So yeah. now I'll figure out how to carve some time. Man, you do it all. You do it all. So that's why I wanted you on here. Cause I'm like, how can she do all of this stuff and manage a marriage and two kids? So I'm like, let me ask Chelsea to come on and for her to tell her story. Cause I'm so curious to know how you managed to do this. But you divorced. So that's the end story. But yeah. I want to know. The path for how this went. Um, yeah. So we're gonna start with Jones. I like to ask, how does Jones look he, now? He was, or that? Uh, not now, but when you first met him. So he was. Oh. I wouldn't say seventeen. So yes, yeah, I would say seventeen. He was twenty four, twenty five. Oh, he was older. He looked. He was. We used to use a term back in the day. Nobody uses anymore. He was fine. He. <laughs> nobody says that anymore. But. Um, uh, he had just gotten out of the, uh, he was special forces in the army. Mm-hmm. He was a airborne ranger. So, you know, and he was actually in the ranger battalion. He didn't just have a ranger tab. So he was oh. very elite special forces, combat veteran. He had fought in Panama, dropped in in the dead of night, you know, fought there in the jungles. Mm-hmm. And um, I met him uh, just in the summer that he had 
been reached the end of his term of his military service. And he looked good. Are you kidding? And he had an identical twin brother that I met first. What? And <laughs> so the twin looked good too as well. Well, the twin was good, like really good looking, but whatever, for whatever reason, we, you know, we were cool. We worked together. We vibed like whatever. And he, he had also just gotten out of the same, he was also a ranger. They'd gone to join the army at the exact same time. So mm-hmm. the twin brother was also uh, just getting out of the army, but um, for whatever reason, we just didn't vibe like that. And then he, this is how I met my ex-husband. So he, the twin brother left where we were working mm-hmm. to go do something else. So he said to the manager of the place, cause it was my little pre-college summer job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to the manager of the store, I'm leaving, but Hey, the good news is I have an identical twin brother. Nobody will ever even know I'm gone. Just why don't you just hire Jones? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what happened. And then when Jones came in, you know, we sort of, sort of clicked, like so, whatever. Did you know like, he was a twin at that time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, nobody's ever done the twin switcheroo on me. I know people run that scam, but no, no. <laughs> and then, um, fast forward, I went to school. Um, yeah, I graduated from UCLA. But I, I went to school, lived in a dorm. And on the first day of moving into the dorms before school started, there's a knock at the dorm room door. Mm-hmm. I open it. There's Jones. No shirt. Bike slung over his shoulder. Cut. Like looking amazing. He's a man too, by the way. He's not a boy. Like I'm 17. I have a boyfriend, but like he, this is a man at my door. <laughs> what do you do with that? Right. And he's like, Hey, by the way, I'm going here because on the VA, you know, when you get out of the, as a veteran, you get benefits to go to school. They'll pay your tuition. Gotcha. Yes, yes. I'm going here. I've enrolled. I'm joining the cycling team. I remember you saying you wanted to join the cycling team. Do you want to train together? And we can go out for it together. And like, that was that like boyfriend got broken up with. Jones and I were then like, that was that. Oh, that was cool. All right. All right. Oh, although, although I will say for the record, cause Jones and I are very friendly now. We uh, co-parent yeah. our children, and he would want me to say this. He, and it's important um, to say this, that we never did anything. Okay. Be considered illegal until I turned 18 that October, which was, so that no, was that's, very. That's fine. Because I have a bunch of stories. Cause that was a thing back in the day where like when I was in high school, some of those girls were going with the drug dealers that were older men or <laughs> going with um, whoever. They'd pull up to the school and girls would get in. We'd be like, God damn, they took my girl. And um, that was a thing. So don't be ashamed by that. That Even when Ari told her story, she was dating an older, older gentleman. That was, a, that was a thing back in the day. I know it now is. it's like very sensitive and, and stuff like that. But back in that time, you could be 16, 17 dating an older man. And it was like nothing. Yeah, we had enough problems anyways, because he's black. And that was even like a like it's it was just starting to be something that people were doing back then. Mm-hmm. So like he would never like we had enough controversy surrounding our relationship. We didn't need the age thing. Right, gotcha. <laughs> I'll say that's, that I was 18 at the time. That's what I was curious about, too, because I seen your kids. I'm like, they got to be half black. So I was they curious are. about that, too. So I was like, Frank is not the only black guy she's been with. So, you By know, the way, the, Chelsea, you, you know, the term they say, like, you know, the term they say. No. Once no, you go what? black, you never go no. back. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. That is not true. I dated so many white guys in between. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> it just it, it, Frank's a total love. But if Frank and I had had kids, they would yeah. not have like my kids now. Trust oh me. God, <laughs> it would have been a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Because I was, I was curious about that. I'm like, he had to have been black or at least Spanish or something. But I was like, I'll find yeah. out. 
normally that's what happens. If when I used to be in public with my kids when they were much younger, we would have um, Latinos coming up to us all the time and trying to speak mm-hmm. Spanish because they look Latino or Latinx in yes. some way. Or we would every once in a while we would go to Hawaii. That's like our Caribbean out here, and um, I'm in LA, and um, and people would think that they were Islanders because they look yeah, a little. Yeah. Because what yeah. you're showing your you're showing your daughter and your, and your son, I'm like, the son looks like Steph Curry. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yo, that is crazy. You said that. My son, my son is a competitive fencer. He, he fences, and uh-huh. um, he. We were in. We have to go to all the weirdest places in the world, like to do his fencing tournaments. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not a sports person, but Steph Curry is from. Remind me where? I don't know. I think he's from Ohio. He's born in yeah. Ohio. Uh, <laughs> In Ohio. So we were in Cleveland for a tournament. Mm-hmm. We touched down, we had a car and, um, the guy, like the guy in the car, we had a black car and the guy like turned around and he like asked me if my kid was Steph Curry. It's crazy. <laughs> he was like, is that Steph Curry? And I was like, you must be joking. He's like 15 years old. What do you, I mean, my kid is 17, but yeah, people have confused him for Steph Curry. It's so funny. Yes. Yeah, so I was looking, I'm like, yeah, the dad has to be black. Dad has, so I was like, I'll ask Chelsea when we do this interview. But um, finding out, yes. All right. So how did um, y'all kick it off, you and Jones? Um, on my 18th birthday, true story, 100% true story. So we've been sort of like flirting back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I did have a boyfriend at the time, you know, who I, again, like I ultimately broke up with him. But, but there were like some messy things. And plus he was older and he was dating I mean, this guy was like top of his game, right? He had five other, he had five women that he was dating at this time. This was a thing, by the way, in the 90s. <laughs> like men just did this. I guess now it's called like main and sides, but like he was just, he just had these women that he was dating right. um, from a variety of different places and backgrounds. And so it wasn't like there was anything that was going to be easy about any of this and plus all the other complications. But um, on my 18th birthday, he lived in an apartment. I lived in a dorm mm-hmm. and I rode my bike over to his apartment, knocked on the door. He opened it. He's like, hey, what's up? Like, what are you doing here? You know, and I said, oh, I turned 18 today. He's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, oh come on in. And that was that. And I slowly. So but y'all, surely, you're already like prepping this to happen. Like we were fluffing low key, Yeah. Low key, yeah, yeah. You know, like I was probably pushing a little harder, but he's like the anti mac. Like that's also a phrase nobody ever used anymore. But there used to be this phrase of like the mac, like you're macking to a girl yes, or whatever. Yes. Like he was the anti mac. That was his whole vibe, and so I love that. I'm a Scorpio and super type A, so give me a challenge. <laughs> and um, he, but that was that. And I slowly like killed off all the other women <laughs> over the course of the first year until I finally got to the place where I was like, there's nobody left. So is it is it us exclusively or what? And then, you know, oh, you, dang, you must have put it on I just mean like, no, I, I know, I know. Situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. I put it on. I was seven. I was 18. Who's competing with that? Yeah. Who's competing with that? Right. I mean, now I'm old, so you don't know. <laughs> I'll pull up some pictures. <laughs> no, I did my Googles. You had some, some nice, nice pictures back in the day. Because yeah. it shows the year on the uh, on the Google. I'm like, all yeah. right, 97, 98. <laughs> yeah, but this is 1989, okay? Ooh. This is 1990. I was a cheerleader in high school. I mean, yeah, I put it on him. But anyways, what I'm also very smart with a great personality. So I'm sure that's what it was. That's good. That's good. So how did this go? So um, you're still a student. You're 18. He's, what, 24, 25? 
Mm-hmm. How was that like? What was that like? Uh, dating uh, an adult? I mean, it was great because he either, you know, had the apartment that first year after that, he had a house, a full blown house. His brother also came and went to school and they had a house. So, I mean, and he had money because he had money coming in from the VA, but also he had a job, you know, and most of us kids in college, we, even if you had a job, it was part time. Mm -hmm. So he had actual money, a car and a motorcycle, you know, he was over 21. So he could go buy you a cocktail if he Mm -hmm. wanted to. Like he was a man and cultured and had well-traveled because of his military service. So there were perspectives and things and places that he exposed me to that, again, though we went through a bad divorce, I like a lot of who I am today is because of the things that he exposed me to at that time, you know, perspectives and places and people and things. So no, it was fantastic. It was like, nobody was going to compete with him either, by the way. I was like crazy in love with him. Like yeah. he was the only man other than Frank I've ever been in love with. Really? And what was that like dating wise? So you're a young girl. You're not used to guys taking you out places, right? So where was he taking you? How was he? Uh, basically, he's like the teacher. Yeah. Great restaurants, the best clubs. I mean, we went to clubs, of course. In LA, you get fake ID at 14 and then you're in the street. You know? <laughs> it's like it just, I mean, I don't know how it is now, but I mean, that's how it was when I was coming up, you mm-hmm. know, and then in LA, there's no better place to be than you're 14 in the 80s in LA. And that's where you lived back in that time? Yeah, born and raised in LA. I've never left. And never what college was you going to at this time? UCLA. 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 Was yeah. it a party school back in that time? It was, um, no, not really. I mean, UCLA is weirdly, I love it. It's my alma mater. And like I sit on the board, like I say, of, of tr- trustees there, you know, for the English Lit Department. But I mean, and I don't know. When I was there, it was going under a lot of reconstruction and renovation. Maybe that's what it was, but it was largely a commuter school. I mean, everyone has a car. Yes. You have your park, like you drive, you park, you go to class, you maybe you hang out for a minute on the grass. And, but it's not like you go to other like the Ivy leagues and like the whole thing is people live on campus for four years. They mm-hmm. were playing Frisbee on the grass. Like there's a whole campus culture there. And that's mm-hmm. not really what it was when I was there, you know? So like not, USC would be the party school or, uh, Somewhere else nearby. USC had a terrible reputation at the time. <laughs> USC was stood for University of Spoiled Children. Now, wow. I mean, USC is different. It's a highly ranked academic institution, yeah. notwithstanding the scandals of the last couple of years. But UCLA was for sure, you know, the one the one to watch it at in LA, and it was very hard to get into even back then. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really a party school of all the UCs. It wasn't that, you know. And you went there to earnestly earn an academic career. All right. All right. Yeah. So the question I like to ask my guests is where did they learn love or where did they see positive love? Oh, my parents, my, my parents, my grandparents. So my grandparents were married for over 50 years. Oh, wow. Um, they were tragically killed by a drunk driver a Mm. few blocks away from my house when I was 12 ish. Um, otherwise they would still have been, I mean, they would have been married until the day they would have passed naturally, you know, yeah. um, they were absolutely in love. And then, um, my parents also have been married this whole time, right? They got married. Um, I guess what is, uh, well, let's see if I'm probably 50, they got married five years before they had, what's that? 45 years. They've been married yeah. like 50 years now. Yeah. And they will never get divorced. I mean, my parents have lived in a very, I grew up very low income, 
lot so much love in the house, very cultured museums everywhere, camping, everything, you know, I was exposed mm-hmm. to different art and all culture, but not because of money, just because my parents are amazing. Yeah. So they lived in the same teeny little house, just doing what they do, living their little simple life for 45, almost 50 years at this point. Wow. More in love they, now they, than they both still alive? Oh, yeah. More yeah. in love now than ever. Like during COVID, actually, weirdly, even brought them closer, if you can imagine, after all these years. Because mm-hmm. for once, even the, the busyness of life, they were just in there together and they developed this like gorgeous kind of like almost Italian lifestyle of mm-hmm. just a gorgeous backyard and dining outside and drinking wine, which they never really did a lot before, you know, that's, that's, over. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like super sweet, like leaning on each other, you know, during that crazy time, my dad watching my dad nurture and hover over and take care of my mom in a way that she's always done for him yeah. because he was more like, Lori, like, because my mom is like a teeny little woman. And he was like, have to Lysol everything and wash everything. Like I'll do all of that. Like, and then you can like do like just him nurturing her and watching over her health has like been really cool. That's good. Know? That's good. Now back in this time, have you introduced Jones to your parents or to anyone? And how did they take, uh, take that? They were, everything was awesome for my parents except the motorcycle. Yeah. So, motorcycles is not it. I, I, no. I hate motorcycles. Me too. Oh, yeah. And his mother, Jones's mother at the time was the head nurse at Cedar Sinai's emergency. Um, mm-hmm. She saw mostly what she saw was people coming in with amputated legs from motorcycle yeah. accidents, right? Like, I mean, yeah, nobody liked the motorcycle thing. And, but I was too young and stupid. When you're young, you don't even forget about a fear of mortality. You don't have an awareness of mortality. Yeah. Yeah. You know what now, I'm saying? So, was there any issues of him being black? Oh no, my parents are straight hippies from the 60s. <laughs> they, met, they both went to, they were at Berkeley. They, they met at Haight-Ashbury, which is a famous corner in San Francisco mm-hmm. where all the hippies used to come. And there was like all, that's where all the protests that you saw from the civil yes. rights movement, like Haight-Ashbury, that's that corner. That's where they met. Mm-hmm. She was like daisies down somebody's machine gun or something like, like, so like, no, my parents are super liberal. So no, yeah. they cared less about the black thing. All right, all right. So that's good. All right. So um, let's fast forward a little bit. When did you realize you was really in love with Jones? Um, At what point? I think I knew I was just... It was definitely by... So if you think about it, when we officially got together was October of nineteen um, of 1989. Gotcha. All right. Two years old. God damn. So, I, so I graduated, sorry. So I, <laughs> so I graduated in June from high school of 89. Um, we met that summer at the summer job, but it was what it was. Mm-hmm. And then October is when my birthday came around. So that's when I turned 18 and that's when that whole thing happened. Right. Yes. And by December, and I had a very secure, comfortable, amazing relationship with my high school boyfriend who had gone away for college who in my mind, I was like, I'm marrying him. I'm set. Like, this is, this is how it was going to age. By the way, you could meet somebody in high school and marry them. Right. And so, you know, I was like, this is the guy, like great family money. He was going to make a lot of money. I was set. And I knew I couldn't escape the quicksand of Jones by when December of 1989, just two months into us dating, Mm -hmm. the boyfriend came home for the holidays from college. And I was like, 
It's a what? dub. It's a dub. So it took two months and then like that was that. That was that. I just gave up that whole thing just for a complete unknown. <laughs> Man. All right. All right. So yeah. the relationship is going, everything is going good. Um, when did some red flags start the show? Like about, well, right away, I knew that we weren't exclusive because he had all these other women. Still? Yeah. So you didn't yeah. kill him off. <laughs> a year. It took me a year to yeah. kill them all off, right? So right away, I was like, I'm going to have some wood to chop here. And yeah. you know, so I did all of that work, which was, I did that. I'm really like subtle with stuff. So I just have my own ways of convincing people they ought not be around. And this is before social media, right? So it's not even like you can cyber do this stuff. Like I just have my ways of making my presence known or popping up or doing whatever I was doing, but super subtle boys can be stupid. So he really didn't have any clue that like what I was doing was sort of killing everybody off. But I thought that would sort of be it, you know? And then once I got rid of all of them, it would be fine. So I finally had gotten rid of all of them by the summer of 1990 when Mm -hmm. we, that was my first summer vacation from college. Mm -hmm. And I thought we were going to have a really amazing summer together. There was this like club called Palace that was happening here in LA. And we were just going to spend the whole summer at Palace, like all every night. Right. Um, But he pops up, he adds another woman all of a sudden. So now it's me and this other woman. What? And she was really, really, really pretty and had like came from like a political family. So like there was, I couldn't compete with anything, you know? So, right. I was like, oh man, I thought I got rid of all these people. And now he added somebody, you know. So where did she come from? from? Like, did you always know about her or no? Or? No, he just met her. She just popped up. You know how women are. Like yeah. she just met her and she popped up and there it was, you know? Um. But I threw a little bit of a fit. And I think by then he actually had developed some feelings for me too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of threw a fit and I think he sort of realized he had to make a choice. So that ended relatively quickly and now I've got them all to myself. But then there was the struggle of guys used to have this weird thing. And I don't know if it still happens now. I haven't encountered it in any kind of recent memory mm-hmm. where thing of like, I'm uncomfortable saying I love you. This is like a big trendy thing in the uh, early days. It might still be a thing. Oh, okay. So that's, <laughs> like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But anyways, in the early 90s, this was like a big thing that guys used to play. You know, like, I'm traumatized or I'm this or I'm that. And I don't say I love you. Yeah. And so he went, we went through that whole thing. And that took a few months, you know, to get through. And finally that happened. But But, but then I was sort of like, oof, like this is more than a challenge. Like this guy, every step along the way is going to be a struggle to get exclusivity, to have him say, I love you. Like this might be more work than I thought it was going to be. And I don't feel like loving somebody should be this much work. So it was a red flag for sure, but it was still worth it for me because I really couldn't help. And I was very much in love with him. Oh man. That's, that's wow. So fast forward a little bit, you get a little older. Let's say you're, at this time, 22. Oh, let's go to when you first got, like, put the proposal. Yeah. Oh, we had an amazing proposal, yeah. How did this happen? And where are you at in, at this time? Yeah. So I graduated from college in 21, um, went on, t- took two years off to collect things I needed to do for just my resume, and then went to law school. Uh-huh. So started law school at the age of 23, graduated at 26. Now... I'm on the precipice of my, now I'm about to launch my career. I mean, I've now gone to law school. I've taken the bar. 
I have my permanent offer from Jones Day, the biggest law firm in the world. Mm-hmm. My career trajectory is about to go. Skyrocket. And where is he at this time? And he had been talking about going to law school. In fact, him, he and I talking about him going to law school potentially had actually clarified my decision to go to law school because it was either do an MBA or a JD. And knowing he might go to law school, I was like, oh, cool. Two lawyers. Like, let's, let me do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it was the right choice for me. I was a really good lawyer. But anyways, I, so I'll give him that credit, too. But he wasn't he hadn't gone to law school at this point. So I've graduated now and he's working in the entertainment industry. Mm. Cool. You know, he's holding his own still lots and lots of good, successful pastures ahead of him. Right. Um we decide that we're going to take what they call a bar trip, which is like a big trip that you take after you take the bar before you start practicing. Because once you start practicing, that's it. You don't see light for 10, 10 years. <laughs> right? yeah. So um, I had money to burn. And so we took this big, gorgeous, amazing trip to Italy. It's like three week trip to Italy or something nice. where we did. We went to Rome, uh, Venice and Florence. And I went to those. I went to all three. Yeah, wow. almost almost got lost in Venice because like a maze, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, and which I love, right? Yeah. So many people, except so we're in Venice. That uh-huh. was the second place we hit. I hadn't realized he had brought a ring. He had because he had purchased a ring before we left, and he had been carrying it around with him the whole time because he was concerned it might get stolen out of the room or whatever. It was like a really gorgeous ring, and so we're in Venice. Um, I've been wanting to take a gondola ride, but this is before I started practicing. So we didn't just have money to burn. Those gondola rides are like 150 bucks or something. You yeah, know? Like, a lot of money. That, yeah. It was like that or have dinner at this place that had been recommended to us from everybody before we left, this, but a really expensive, really expensive restaurant. And we were sort of like, well, we'll probably get more bang for the buck out of this restaurant. So let's just do the restaurant. And like, next time we come back to Venice, we'll take the gondola ride. Right, right, right. So we go to this restaurant and we sit next to this older couple. It's all like, even though it's a very fancy, amazing restaurant, it's Italians. So they do things differently. And so there were lots of communal tables. And we were sitting at a table with this much, much, much older couple. And we start talking to them. And it turns out that they're very old. Their last name is Ferrara. They are heirs to the Ferrara candy fortune, which did like Red Hots, Lemonheads. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all the candies from old, back in the day. And um, so they're rich. And they come from generations of candy makers from Italy. Mm. And they're telling us the story of how they met and they were young and on the town and glamorous and classy and just had had their kids and da, da, da. And um, they were showing us pictures of themselves from back in the day. And we said to them, how have you been married all of these years through everything you've been through? What is the secret? And um, she said, well, we never, ever go to bed angry. We always make sure to like touch feet under the covers or just do one thing to show each other. Like, yeah, we just had a spat, but I love you. I'm not angry at you anymore. Like, let's just bury the hatchet type thing. Yeah. So, um, so that was kind of this amazing little tip they gave us. And then we're ordering food and wine and they keep ordering more stuff to the table and it's whatever we're blowing it out. And then, then they get up and leave. And then the waiter comes, the server comes over and says, do you guys want dessert and another bottle of wine? And we said, well, we're like, we're tapped out a little bit. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, 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 no. The Ferraras, not only have they picked up every single thing you guys just ate, they'll pick up anything else you want. Like, they've got your entire bill covered. What? He's like, they left me all this cash. Like, it's good. They come here all the time. Which enabled wow. us, we left that restaurant drunk and happy. 
use the money to take a gondola ride. Nice. So we nice. go out to the water, you know, we get on a gondola. He's taking us all over the place. I'm coming to the end of the story, mm-hmm. but um, so it's, we get into um, sort of a side alley, you know, how you, like you said, it's all mazes, it's a maze, yeah. whatever, right? We get into a little side alley. We kind of stop in front of this house. Um, this, you know, it's all medieval brick up mm-hmm. to as the eye can see on every side. You have the water kind of lapping at the boat. You're sort yeah. of rocking. You can see just a patch of starry sky with the moon up above, just like a straight line because it's between the, you know, the building. Yeah. yeah. I, you could hear, you know how like there's all these cool clubs in Venice too. So you can hear yeah. like, like whatever it was called back then, hip hop or whatever. Who knows? Was, but um, party music back then, yes. like right. party music, like happening in the background, but also maybe some like other traditional music. So it's all kind of blending in. And the guy says, the gondolier says, um, this is Casanova's house that we're in front of. Do you know who Casanova was? Well, Casanova was this like famous lover of in, in Italian literature, you know, I mean, oh, I'm not into it, but he's just like a famous romanticist in Italian literature. So when you call somebody a Casanova, it's calling them like a great oh, lover. Oh, so the old right. Casanova song by, uh, yeah, Joe exactly. Levert. All right. That's where it comes from. Casanova. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> um, anyways, so he's like, this is Casanova's house. And he turns to Jones and says, and you, my friend, are one hell of a Casanova. Mm. And I look over and Jones isn't sitting next to me. And I look and he's kneeling in front of me. On the boat? With the ring. And the guy just standing there with his little stick. (laughs) He's watching. (laughs) And he's like, listen, I want to be telling stories to people 50 years from now in a Venetian restaurant about how we met and how we were young and beautiful together. Wow. And I want to show them pictures of that. And he said, um, I want to always go to bed, not mad, not mad at you. And he said, and I want you to be my wife. Mm. That was my proposal. Dang. In Venice. That mm-hmm. was it. <laughs> yeah. How did he know he wanted to marry you at this point? How did he know? Yeah. Do you know? I don't know. I mean, you know, he finally kind of turned around from his player ways or something. Yeah. Oh. We've been together forever at that point. You know, I was in his family, like, like it or not, I was always going to be in his family. Mm-hmm. So it's probably just time, you know, and who knows? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever he is, Jones. Um, <laughs> so you, you said yes. And then how did that go after that? You, you We got married and then I started practicing and life just sort of took over. We got pregnant on our one year anniversary of getting married. Mm-hmm. I know very specifically that was the day we got pregnant. Just we weren't even trying. I was actually on the pill, but but that we all we all know that was the day for a whole bunch of reasons that I'm not going to get into here. But yeah. so then we had uh, my daughter um, almost two years after we got married. So we had her in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, I'm still practicing, still going bananas with my law practice. My parents are my absolute silver bullet because instead of having to get a nanny or babysitter, I've never, ever had a nanny or a babysitter ever in my entire life as a parent. Whoa. My parents just took over and became like a second husband to me together. Yeah. And they were there whenever we needed them for whatever reason. Like my mom dropped every single thing, dropped her job, dropped everything and just came over and completely took over so I could go back to focusing on my career. That and was, then, that's good. Good yeah, support. Yeah. A huge support. And then two years later, we had my son. So Sylvia in 2002, Shane in 2004. 
How was he as a as a dad? Like when you when you're pregnant, I know a lot of emotions come over you. You have estrogen out the roof, or, or however you want to call it. How was he dealing with all of that? That's when kind of the troubles started. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I was I had emotional hormones. I am a control freak. I'll never say that I'm not, and <laughs> I like I think that things need to be done in a very specific way and. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to like steamroll over anybody, you know, to like make it happen that way. Mm-hmm. So he probably was a victim of me steamrolling a little bit because I had very specific ways about how what I wanted to do with the babies. But but he's not to be steamrolled. Like he can get who can he's like the lazy part of human beings allows them to be steamrolled to a certain point. But then if mm-hmm. you're a person that has some of your own ideas, you're gonna at some point battle back. And so when he started battling back on things or didn't do things perfectly exactly a particular way that I saw them, like that's when we started to clash. So I never wanted the kids watching television. I felt like every day they had to be outside doing something active. And he had ideas about, well, if it's Sunday and I want to watch football and hang out with the kids in the house watching football, what's the harm? You know, and my thing was like, that's not educational or active. What are we doing? So we would have clashes like that. So it kind of started like that. I don't know if anybody was right or wrong particularly, but it definitely, when you have kids as a young couple, if you haven't gotten certain things straight ahead of time, lots and lots of tensions can bubble to the surface. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right. And how did y'all manage to, to get back to normal when those, when those things happen? Um, did y'all I wiggle, mean, each, what, did y'all wiggle each other's toes under the bed? or, or, or? Yeah. <laughs> For a long time, we held it together. And yeah. we both really wanted to hold it together. He's a product of divorce. A terrible divorce. And he never, ever, ever wanted to his kids to experience divorce. We talked about it a lot. Every time we would have problems, you know, he's, he would just say like the very worst thing that can happen to me is a divorce. Mm. And I had never seen divorce. So I had no clue of how bad it could be or why that was bad for kids or whatever, you know? So I didn't quite come at it like that. I'd only ever seen happy marriages. Everybody I knew was just married. All my friends' parents were married. Like nobody got divorced, you know? And so we just came from different backgrounds. So he was terrified of the divorce thing. I always thought, well, if you need to, you you can pull the ripcord and do that, which, you know, whatever. But, um, so we would, we held it together and we focused on each other. Not, not as much as we should have. That was Mm -hmm. probably one of our mistakes, but we did try to focus on each other as much as we could. Mm. We didn't take enough family vacations. We definitely should have done that, but I was very focused on my career. Never felt like I could take any time off. Um, I was exhausted all the time. I felt that he wasn't helping as much. He didn't. I mean, he, he is flawed, but this isn't, I didn't get on this podcast to criticize him. So I'll just say that for sure he did things wrong. He's super flawed. He knows what those things are. I'm not going to get into it, but we, we had, different ideas about who should do what in the house and with the kids and in life generally. And his career was not going probably the way that he would have wanted. And my career was like super successful. So you wanted him to be like the stay at home dad type of thing? Well, I was just sort of like, if your career isn't going to be a certain way, then you may as well do that because then I don't have to think that you're going to do it. Then at least we know what your category is, you know, ego. Then, but but also, or I was like, or just be honest with me about like the things you want to do or not do. And then I don't rely on you for any of those things, but that wasn't going to work either, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he had his own share of problems, you know, he was mad about stuff or whatever. So we both, it just, it became rough. Yeah. And then, um, and the kids were 
five and three by the, when I realized this is not work. We had seen several therapists, family had spoken with us. Everybody wanted it to work. We were a golden couple, you know? Um, No, not a lot of people though knew what was happening behind closed doors. I Mm -hmm. couldn't really talk to a lot of people about what was, because I felt like a failure. So when the kids were five and three, I filed, I filed for divorce. There was no way to fix this at all. Like no solution at all. I'm convinced that I made a lot of mistakes, Mm -hmm. but notwithstanding that, and I recognize all of them and we can talk about those if you want, but I'm convinced that notwithstanding the way that I handled it, which wasn't perfect and notwithstanding the way that I was closed-minded to things that could have been fixed, that that divorce is the best thing that could have happened to me personally Mm -hmm. for my career, for my relationships that happened after that, particularly with Frank, I would have never met Frank had I not divorced. Frank is the absolute love of my life, you know, but I am, but just for how I look, for how I live, for my happiness and my joy in life, I could have remained married um, if things would have gone a little differently, but I would have been not the person you see today. I wouldn't have had joy. I wouldn't have traveled the way that I did. I probably wouldn't have been as successful as I was. But why is that? Was it both parties not seeing eye to eye on things that much where you couldn't do what you wanted? I, I worked really hard to maintain all, to keep all the balls in the air. And um, when you have some, when you have nobody else to depend on, mm-hmm. and that's hard enough. Yeah. But you can make, but you can do it um, because then you don't depend on anybody else. So you make arrangements and then you're not mad. It's the anger. When you have somebody else that should be doing those things or you feel they should be doing different things or more and, and you're keeping all the balls in the air mm-hmm. and you're getting anger launched at you all the time um, and you have to come home and argue about things and you have to deal with this other person in the house with all the stuff they leave around and diff- different things that, like that in addition to all the balls in the air is the killer. Mm. So when you get rid of that and you know, you're on your own and you only have you and your two kids to deal with and you don't have like something weighing you down all the time. And you yourself are released of all that anger and that emotion because it's gone. You're divorced now. And you don't have to be angry at this person anymore because you saw it. That's huge. That's, that is, that buoys you up. That's Mm -hmm. major amounts of helium that just lifts you completely out of the rut you were in and allows you to see possibilities and take risks and be happy and enjoy life. Yeah. Cause you don't have no one depending on you or you're not depending on that person. That's, uh, it it sounds a bit selfish, but it's a plus (laughs) in how you want to live your life. You're just not mad anymore. I mean, yeah. forget about the idea that somebody's weighing, that somebody is weighing you down. You yourself are being weighed down by your own anger and emotion that yeah. are wrapped up in the situation. When you're not in the situation anymore, what's to be angry about? Now it's joy. Yeah. You know? And how did he take that? File for divorce? Yeah. Oh, he was so sad. I was, I was angry. He was sad. Then he was angry. Then we went through a horrible divorce. Then we went through a horrible co-parenting period after that. Now we're great. Now we're great. I can tell you that I love him. He, I have love in my heart for him. We're friends. The, the co-parenting thing is, I mean, now the kids are 19 and 17 anyways, but he's got a fantastic, I mean, my son is still under, you know, 18. So he still goes back and forth and that's great. They absolutely adore each other. They have a great relationship. I mean, 
that just, yeah, we're functional. So now how was that process? Like after the divorce was settled, what was like getting back into life, getting back to yourself? I know you was still working, but yeah. did you feel like, like oh, you lost a bit of yourself because you, you gave so much, so many years with this guy. You've been so, you've been yeah. around so many years. How did you uh, manage after that? I mean, did you, did you, you just know, focus I, on work and and? Yeah, I was a money house, so I gave up a lot of money in the situation. I had to pay a lot of money to get out. My lawyer, his lawyer, I gave away half my wealth. I, you know, like you just you get yourself down to zero, but that doesn't really matter as long as the kids are taken care of. You can always make more money. Mm-hmm. But I went down to zero. I had it wasn't this house. I had a different house before all this. Um, but in my house, in my living room, I, I give, gave him all of my living room furniture. So I just, I couldn't even collect myself to think about what do I want to buy now? And I didn't even have the time to go and looking around for, to redecorate. So just for the kids were five and three, six and four, whatever. I bought huge oversized bean bags <laughs> And I threw them all over the living room and I made my living room into like a kid's gymnasium, like playpen for like a year. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have company, but I didn't want company, but my kids and their friends had a blast. Like I had the most, my house was the one most requested for sleepovers. That whole <laughs> Cause it was just huge beanbags. So, I mean, I kind of like had some humor in it and yeah. just, cause I didn't have time. Cause my also that coincided with my very first year as a big equity partner at Jones day, which is the biggest law firm in the world. I mean, that is a big, 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 high, high, high paying job with a lot of responsibility. So I went from doing great to just like, like money, 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 but lots and lots and lots of work, lots and lots and lots of travel to Europe and Asia for clients. I mean, just absolutely skyrocketed moonshot, you know? So there was a lot going on. Um, but I also look, I'm a Scorpio, I'm a sexual person. I like, <laughs> so I did date, you know, I had a two year relationship kind of six months after the divorce sort of was, was what it was, you know, it was basically done, you know, um, I started dating somebody who I dated for the next two years and then went on from there. I had a bunch of awesome relationships. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't in love with anybody and I can't fake it. So no matter, I don't care what you give me or what kind of a life you can give me. Cause I only dated like Uber rich guys after that. <laughs> um, I don't care what kind of a lifestyle you give me. I can't fake it. And which is horrible. Cause I know a lot of like some women can, and maybe that's the vibe, you know, and maybe, but I can't do it. So if I don't, if I'm not in love with you, we can be together for a certain period of time, two, three years, but at some point I'm going to have to get out. Cause I can't just going to start talking about marriage and I can't, I'm not marrying somebody I'm not in love with, you know? Yeah, I feel you on that. So yeah, a lot of people stay with those guys because they're not making their own money. You was making your own money. So it's like, I don't really need you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, there's wealthy, but there's wealthy. I'm talking about Uber, Uber wealthy guys, you know, but so my life would have been different, but um, no, it is what it is. I think you've got to remain true to yourself. You can do it. Great, more power to you. But. I will ask this one because <laughs> since you do the flex of the day of on, on the morning show, what was your biggest flex with Jones? Like you mean two of us together, yes. or because you uh, had money in that relationship, right? Yeah, but so I partner. I literally I made partner just Once after. Oh, so it was no her. like flex. I made a lot of money as an associate. You definitely make a lot of money, but not 
money you make once you make partner at your yeah. big law firm. So, and remember, because I was making partner, I wanted to make partner. Mm-hmm. You can't really go out and party or, or do much because for eight to 10 years, you are locked to yeah, your computer. Yeah, yeah. Locked, All right. So it was know? no, oh, boo. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, like we didn't take any big trips. We, not really, you know, I mean, we, if we did go somewhere, we obviously stayed in gorgeous style. I mean, the things that I did that were amazing during our marriage were because of work. I closed, um, the first deal I closed on my own as an associate, which was my partner making deal, actually a big multi-billion, billion with a B, multi-billion dollar deal with a French private invest, uh, private equity investment fund. Mm-hmm. They were buying my client, which was a domestic and, and global um, company in the aerospace industry. Yeah. Um, and I flew to Paris, I don't know, five times that year to get this thing closed. Every time, obviously, you know, you're flying as, you know, gorgeous beyond first class accommodations. You know, I mean, the way that we were treated in Paris was platinum level, you know, but that was all that kind of stuff. I did a lot, you know, I went to Asia a lot, you know, I was constantly doing deals in Asia. That was all while I was married, but, and that definitely gave me a taste of what fun trap, fun first class travel would be like once I was able to do it, Mm -hmm. but that was all my work. Yeah. So he, I never experienced anything. Together, we didn't experience yeah. a glamorous oh, life. Man. You know, it was a grind. It was it was having the kids. It was raising the kids. It was we bought our first house together. It was we had dogs, which were fucking beasts. You know, crazy, <laughs> huge, hundred and fifty pounds each. Oh, you know, wow. dogs like yeah. Rottweiler, Doby mixes. You know, just it was a grind. We didn't have we had pretty stuff and we lived a nice life, but it was I worked all the time. Man, do you think he felt like he was cheated? Because you were yeah. and now looking at you now. Yeah. You think so, right? Mm-hmm. Did, did he ever say that to you? No, he wouldn't. He oh. wouldn't because his whole vibe is like, I don't care about material things. Money doesn't mean anything to me. That's not who I am. You know, his vibe is more like Le- Lenny Kravitz vibe like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and I would never rub that in his face, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean... And, and again, I can't purport to say I know what he's thinking or what he would say. And I never, ever want to bash him because he's the father of my children. Yeah. I did love him at one point, you know, so I don't know. He probably, yeah, he probably doesn't like it. I mean, you've seen what I do. I go to the Maldives on, you know, yeah. uh, class. I go, I go to St. Bart's and hit party at Nikki Beach. I go, I mean, we're well, planning. You have an amazing life. I'll say that. Yeah, like we're, we're planning a very crazy couple of trips for this year and next year already. It's in the works because things are opening up and like mm-hmm. they're crazy trips. So he sees that we're on social media together, you know, yeah. but I, he's happy. He's in a very beautiful, loving relationship. It's very healthy. They have a gorgeous place. I mean, he's, you know, he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. So after this divorce, you dated a while, and then what was your healing process like after? You just I went to I went to a shrink. So I was in denial for a minute, you know, and I was like, I'm good. Oh my god, look at this. I'm great. I what a powerful woman I am. I, I divorced this person where that, that was in this talk that that I was in this toxic marriage with. I solved it. Like I solved all the problems. Um, now I'm just going to go on and date and remarry or not remarry or whatever, you know, um, and I'm going to, and I'm a partner at my law firm. And it, this is a success story. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I had, there was a little hiccup in that relationship that I told you about that two-year relationship that mm. I had after my divorce right at the beginning of that. So this is like six months after my divorce, there was a little hiccup, which in, I soon realized wasn't a hiccup at all. It was just a miscommunication. But in the moment, in that exact moment, it mm. felt to me like, oh my God, what, like, maybe I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. This really, maybe this new relationship is going to have some problems. Am I right back where I started? Right. And I had like a little mini emotional breakdown, called a friend of mine. I said, I need a shrink. She's like, honey, I've been waiting for you to ask me for a referral to a shrink. Like, I (laughs) cannot believe you haven't seen a therapist through all of this. She gave me a referral. I went to this therapist. I went to like five emergency sessions that week, you know, just to cram it all in and try to get some healing. And then I saw her for the next, gosh, four years every week. Oh, that's, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And did that so, help you along the way um, and still working and, and going up and up and up? It did. I mean, I, you know, I had a really successful career after that, but it was, it, it, yeah, it helped me. Um, yeah. It helped me kind of understand where my insecurities were. It helped me start to understand the process I'd gone through in the marriage and the PTSD that I had from it mm-hmm. didn't quite get to, it didn't at all. We never addressed the things that I've now realized in recent life about what I did wrong. Yeah, I yeah. still, you know, still at that point, it was more, it was all the things he had done wrong, but me healing from that, which is fine. You know, everything takes time, but yeah, it helped me get to resolving my trauma from that relationship. Um, just talking everything out. You know, therapists don't really give you an answer. They yeah. just come and talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. By talking, you're sort of like, oh, wow, what I just said sounds whack, you know, or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, so I mean, I think that was part of my healing process. I think it was um, get just becoming older and getting into myself a little bit because I was 35 when we got divorced. That's a real turning point for many women. I firmly mm-hmm. believe after 35, women really come into their own in a way that they weren't before Which that. After 30, I will say. Even after 30, yeah. you know. Um, and men, you know, probably 40, 45. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so it was age two, you know. So just things take time. Mm-hmm. You have to get older. The more money you put into a pile also that makes it better. I don't know why people say like money doesn't make things, money does make things better. It gives you security in some ways. It gives you a safety net to venture out and take risks, you know? So mm-hmm. just time seasoning, all of that. Um, and now I'm full circle, you know, we're, we're friends and I see what happened there and I feel awful about a lot of it. I can look back yes. songs like, Take that's, me back to points in our relationship where I was really happy and I can enjoy those moments, you know? Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Like, what role did you play in the downfall of the relationship? Because you said you realized it now. I, I'm going to use his analogy, actually. He never used this with me, but, I mean, this is an analogy he used to use. Like, baby scorpions are commonly known to be much more dangerous than adult scorpions. Wow. And that's because baby scorpions have no idea the potency of their venom. And so they give it all to you in one shot because they don't know how much to give and how much they can reserve. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna fucking die if you get stung by a baby scorpion. An adult scorpion knows, I can give you a zap. You'll be like, holy shit. You'll brush the scorpion off of you. The scorpion lives, you live, everyone walks away. But the scorpion lives. Right. A baby scorpion isn't like, oh, I know I can give a warning shot. 
I'm going to give it all to you because I'm young. That makes sense. That's how I was. There was no warning shot. There was no me going half seas. I mean, I gave everything, all of my ammunition to that battle, which was our divorce. Mm. It was winner take all for me. And I had no foresight in terms of, um, boy, maybe a different custody arrangement will be better because they'll, this doesn't give them a whole bunch of quality time with their dad. He wasn't a great dad at that time. He wasn't doing the things I would have done with them, but I, I wish I could have seen like, if I allow him to become that person by letting him have them 50% of the time and really like coming into his own in his own place, Mm -hmm. he'll evolve into that, you know, and maybe it'll never look exactly like what I'm doing, but he's a dad. So of course he's different, you know, I never really allowed that to happen. I regret that. Yeah. Luckily, my kids are who they are, so they've done what they wanted to do anyways. <laughs> That's good, notwithstanding their mommy's mistakes, you know. So I regret that, you know. Um, I regret, the biggest regret I have is, and the lesson that I learned, and it was a really good lesson, is um, when you say mean things to people, those are there forever. Mm. People have heard those things, and you have said those things. So everybody's fucked on both sides of it. You've hurt their feelings. Even if you apologize and take it back, you still said that shit. And you yourself have given yourself awful, awful energy because you've said that you've been mean. There's no point in being mean to anybody in this life. I mean, Hitler. Yeah, I'm Jewish. Like, yeah, I'm being mean to Hitler if I ever met the guy who's still alive. Okay, fine. There's exceptions to that statement, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, okay, there's awful, awful, horrible, sick motherfuckers in this yeah. world. But, but I just mean, like, in your life, you know, generally speaking, the best thing you can do, fight for yourself, advocate for yourself, but you do that for yourself rather than doing personal barbs against the people that you right, love. Right. I have said some horrible things to this man. And he said horrible things to me and I can't take any of those back. And I wish I could. Mm -hmm. And so now I've learned it doesn't matter what happens. I don't, I just stop communicating if I feel like I'm about to say something now and it's a much better person. I'm a better person for it. Mm. That's yeah. That's I wish I can do that. I need to, I need to learn how to to stop myself. (laughs) That, That might take a lot of time. Listen, I'm 50. It takes a minute, okay? So I'm not saying I was like this when I was, how old are you? I'm 33. So, yeah. That's a good age. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So now you moved on. I heard the story about how you met Frank. Now, you could tell it, you could do it quickly. You could try to tell it quickly because I know it's a a nice elaborate elaborate story. Um, I picked it up. I picked him up in a room. I walked across the room, swallowed <laughs> my pride, threw myself at his feet. He didn't understand I was hitting on him. So I walked away. The next day I walked back over to him because I saw him again and he finally understood. And then that was that. Three months later, we were moving in and getting married. You moved him in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would take the deal too. Because he's a, he's he's about my age, right? He's, he's a little young, or a little older. Than exactly. Age. All right, all right, all right. So yeah, you met him at the gym and then... <laughs> Didn't know how to shoot your shot, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that's a it was a cool story. I wish I could tell more, but we ran out of time. We had an hour. We had an hour exactly. Yeah. So, how would you say your relationship with Frank is different from Jones? Frank and I have peace all the time. 
We have peace and happiness between the two of us. We aren't mean to each other. We don't fight. If we feel like there's something that we're about to have a disagreement about, we just sit, we deliberately sit back and work through it like we're academics on either side of a table at a university. We we like rip it apart intellectually rather than put emotions into it. Mm-hmm. So we Frank and I have supreme and absolute peace between the two of us. I don't know how else to say it. We're just happy. And it's like very unusual, you know, but, and I want to take a lot of credit for that actually, because it's stuff that I've learned because I'm the hothead, you know, so he's calm. They're like, yeah, he's very like, calm. <laughs> um, I like his know, vibe. He's just, uh, yeah, he's like got the most calm and serene vibe. I mean, I don't know what he's like, you know, back in his early twenties in the streets of the Bronx, but now he's a super calm guy. And, <laughs> um, so it would it would be me that would ratchet things up, and I have taken great pains to never ratchet shit up. So we just have peace and tranquility in our house. How did he? He's from the Bronx. So how did he? Uh, Mount Vernon, but yeah, it's, it's right there, right around the corner. How did he learn to uh, adapt to like moving in with you? Because we like he probably never came from money, or he yeah. probably never seen that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. How was that? Um, he has a wonderful family yes. who showed him as much as they possibly could educated. They're a very educated family. They're very much in, they have values and religion and mm-hmm. love and they, they lift their, their family up at as much as they can. He, he was, he went to a private school, you know, mm-hmm. parochial school, but, but private and um, his mother made him go to college, even though he didn't want to go. And he thanks her for that to this day. And, you know, so he, he, it's not that he came necessarily from money, um, but he is, but he comes from understanding standards mm-hmm. and all of that. So you'd be, you'd be amazed because you look at Frank and you hear, you know, like if you knew where he came, I'm not going to tell his story for him either, but if you, <laughs> know, if you knew the shit that Frank went through to get to where he is now, it's crazy. And the things he had to extricate himself from and why he moved here to begin with and mm-hmm. friends back home and all of that. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to Frank. He's the most layered, complicated, complex man ever. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, again, yeah, I'm not going to tell his story. I will let him tell it, but I mean, I don't know, frankly, no pun intended, but I don't know how he plopped himself into our life and his head wasn't spinning all I can say is it's a testament to Frank's incredible ability to just adapt, remain calm in every circumstance. I've never seen Frank freak out. I've never seen him outwardly panicking about how do I handle this? Like Frank blends with situations. Frank, I, can, I can see that. Yeah. Amazing. Like, I mean, I give him all of his flowers for that. So it's what it is. He, I mean, he probably changed a lot about the, his lifestyle. I know he did. I mean, Frank smokes weed constantly. <laughs> Frank's never not high, but he moved everything around so he doesn't smoke in the house and not in front of the kids. And like, I know that's rough because he's constantly in a previous life was rolling up and smoking however he wanted to. So he's just a, a king. He's amazing. I love your connection. It's like total opposite, but it works. I, I was yeah. Because like, I'm looking, I'm so like, Curious about everything. So I'm like, <laughs> looking at him, looking at you, your lifestyle, his, like, I don't know his lifestyle, but just looking at him, I'm like, how does this work? But then when y'all speak, 
and y'all connect. It was like, all right, I get it. I get it. Because yeah. yeah. looking at you, when, we, when I first seen you in the, in, uh, in the room, I'm like, who is this lady? And then I, <laughs> I, click, I click on your page. I'm like, yo. Who is this lady? Like, yeah, like, she's the former CEO of True Religion. Why she's in here? <laughs> and then we got to know you. It was like, oh, all right, all right, yeah, all right. We see why she's here. And then Frank got yeah. on the... <laughs> I got in that room anyways that will go but I mean I when I popped in I was so like oh, clubhouse is I'm not even on clubhouse anymore at this point because like I, I go into my friend's room once a week just to help her co-host it but otherwise like I'm not doing my rooms anymore and I just like got really sick of all the bullshit on the professional side of things right, and, that, right. and I was starting to get sick of it um I could feel it and I was like, there must be something here. And like, where are my peeps that I can just socialize with? Because I see some of these like socializing rooms, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there was the name of this one room was, and it was like Ariana, Mia, if you remember her. Yeah. I think in there, like, yeah. Um, probably Six was, yeah, Six was in there. And I can't remember the who early else. Early stages, yeah. All girls, right? Really, really early, back in December. Yeah. Or maybe early January. And um, I popped in there because the name of the room was, would you accept a Michael Kors bag as a gift? <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. that yeah. that's, that's a trigger for me because I have a whole Michael Kors story I won't go into, but I one time rejected Michael Kors watch. So I had a whole story there, you know? And so, wow. and I hate Michael Kors. And so I popped into the room and I was like, sorry to barge in. I'm clearly like weirdly barging into your room, but I want to tell my Michael Kors story. Uh-huh. And we all just clicked. And then I saw them the next day in her room and I was like, Oh, there's like all the women I was just in this other room with. So I went in there and they pulled me up and that was that. And every day ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And I I came in and ran. I'm like, who is this lady? And she's here every day. So I'm like, all right. (laughs) And then come in. I'm glad she's coming back. I'll, you know, I'll try to come in when I can, but it can't be like it was before. Yeah. So yeah, you and Frank, you have happily married. What would be your biggest, I would say now, your biggest flex with Frank? Well, we, it's, I guess it's now going forward, the trips that we're planning. All right. All right. So we're looking at, uh, we're tossing it. Well, for my 50th, we're going to do a trip. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking Monaco. That's nice. That's, that's really going to be nice. Putting, you know, tux and black tie on every night and hanging out at the clubs Ooh. or parties yeah. or whatever, you know, that would be really fun. And then I think for the summer with the kids, not this summer, it'll be too soon to travel like that, but my birthday's not till October. So I think October things will be open, you know, mm-hmm. look at Monaco. And then the next trip would, would be in the summer with the kids right before my son goes to college. Um, so we'll look at Zanzibar, which I've always wanted to go to. I've heard of that place. <laughs> Zan- I had to look it up now. I think about like, so you're looking at me, right? So uh-huh. Here's Africa. Mm. Here's the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So here's like the West coast of Africa, mm. but on the East coast of Africa is like Tanzania, Kenya, yeah. Madagascar. Like here's Madagascar. Mm. Right. And then like Seychelles and then the Maldives and then India. And all like right. all that, it's right? in that so, area. All right. Sorry. But so if this is Tanzania, mm-hmm. Tan- Zanzibar is part of Tanzania, but it's an Island. It's a cluster of islands off the coast of Tanzania. How did you find that? Well, (laughs) like what? (laughs) It's actually a resort. It's a, there's some resorts. One of them is called and beyond. And I one time saw years ago, almost 10 years ago. Now I saw somebody posting about this resort and beyond Nemba on one of the Zanzibar islands. And I got it. I'm like, I get fixated on shit and I got it. 
head. I put it on my list. I'm like, I want to go there, but I'd always thought I would go there after a whole safari through Tanzania for two weeks. And yeah. then you like recuperate for five days on Zanzibar. Um, but now I'm like less hyped on the safari part. And I just like the relaxing part. So I think maybe just Zanzibar. And then like, that's that. I have to go so, look this up. Like, I know it's like a little tiny Island probably. A- teeny. Look yeah. it up. It's called, it's called, the resort is called and beyond. And, and, and beyond, yeah. if you're listening to this, feel free to comp me. Um, <laughs> I'm plugging for you and you haven't given me anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But that sounds, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah. You already said your biggest lesson learned was with the words, those words stick and everything like that. For somebody going through a heartbreak or a breakup, what's some advice you would give them? Just time will heal you. And don't, don't, don't circle back. Don't go back and play the yo-yo game mm-hmm. at all. If they're um, an ex, leave them as an ex. Leave them as an ex. You know, it was probably not meant to be. If you're having that kind of an issue, it's probably nothing that can actually be fixed. And if you're not the kind of person and few of us are who can actually leave something behind and not carry it forward. There's no point in restarting that relationship because you'll always have that between you mm-hmm. and it's not fair to you, but it's also not fair to the other person, you know? So if you truly can't leave them behind, then leave the whole thing behind. Um, trust me, nobody ever died of a broken heart. It is not a disease. It is not an accident. It is not a physical thing, even though it feels that way. Do what you need to do. You need to eat, you need to smoke, you need to do whatever you need to do, but get through it. Talk to your friends, see a shrink, whatever it is. But trust me when I tell you, you're not going to die and time will heal everything. Mm-hmm. If you give it a year, you will feel so differently about that person and you will be so happy that you went through that period of time and you're rid of them because if you go back to them, you'll never give yourself the grace to heal and now you're stuck in a bad relationship. Exactly. You're right about that, because yeah, it took me a while to get back to normal. <laughs> it took me a while. Time and perspective, and yes. don't you know? And feel free to go off and have sex with whoever you want. <laughs> do what you need to do, you know. But just give it time. Force yourself to give it time. A don't cyberstalk. Don't call. Don't text. Yeah, a question I forgot to ask: How did the kids take the divorce? I know they were young, but as they grew up. At the time we were fighting a lot. So I got them this book, which was like, had a bunch of things about divorce in it. But one of the page, one of the pages in the book had all these words. And it said, pick the word about that circle word that makes, that is how you're feeling right now. And it was like angry, guilty, responsible, lonely, sad, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Like they both independently circled the word relieved. So they were very relieved that we got our cars at the time because we were battling and they just wanted peace. I think they're both still fine about the divorce. I think they both have their opinions about both of us. Like, again, I'm not going to share their opinions about their dad. That's for them to do and for him to respond to. But for me, they probably see a lot of things I told you, which is they saw me going like full hog and I probably could have backed off a little bit. And um, so now they're probably like the divorce wasn't handled beautifully, you know, but um, at the time they were both relieved. All right. No resentment of you or him or anything like that. Oh, I'm sure there's resentment. Are you kidding? Every, come on. If you, when you have kids, you'll see. Kids always resent you for something. Oh, man. That's happy. <laughs> yeah, all you can do is love them, right? <laughs> all you can do is love them. Put money aside always from day zero when your kid is born. Create a 529 college savings account. 
doesn't matter what you can put in there as long as you keep putting something in there, put it on aggressive so that you're aggressively investing. Um, the best thing you can do for your kid is say to them, you can apply anywhere you want for college. You'll be debt free. Mm-hmm. I will pay for the whole thing. You never have to worry about this shit. And you, anybody can make it happen if you open a 529 the minute your kids are born. Well, even when you're pregnant. Yeah. So the best thing you do for your kids, yeah, is love them unconditionally. Discipline them because they want that. And make sure they can go to college debt-free. Mm, that's good to know. 529. <laughs> and last but not least, the song we like to dedicate to you. Actually, you didn't pick one, but I need one. Ha! 50 Cent. <laughs> Have a baby by me, baby. Be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> that's, mad, that's mad funny. Oh. Oh, sorry, Jones. Sorry, Jones. I'm just kidding. It's how about this instead? Um, something about you by Level Forty Two. That's a nice song. Something about you by Level Forty Two. I gotta go look this up. I never heard it. It's old. It's from when we were dating, so that's why I picked gotcha. it. I think Brent would do. Yeah. All right, but thank you, Chelsea. That's been an episode of Views of the Next. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It's been amazing. What is something? Uh, a tip, just a, a random tip, because I know you, you do all your videos, giving out tips of how to make money and how to do this. A random tip for, for anyone. Yeah. Um, boy, I have a whole bunch of them. When handshakes come back into trend, and I don't know when that's going to be because of COVID. <laughs> I, I do like this, like a dap. <laughs> yeah. You know, and probably maybe they never come back. But if they come back, perfect the art of the handshake. Make it a strong, full handshake. Don't let anybody give you the limp fish, particularly the women out there. Don't let anyone give you the, the limp fish or give you the half hand handed. If, if, if somebody gives you a bad handshake, say, let's make a redo. That was a horrible handshake and give them the full hard grip because uh-huh. that's your alpha in that relationship. And they're going to treat you in that room, how they treated you with the handshake. So do you want them to respect you or do you want them to treat you like you're a delicate rose? You want them to respect you. So perfect the art of the good handshake. I was never taught that, but I do. I do that. Like somebody give me a, a, a bad handshake or a left hand handshake. I'm like, what, what was that? I say, like, what yeah. is that? Yeah, that I, I started well, over. That's good to know because I taught myself that. Yeah, that means you're naturally alpha, so that's good. Ah, good. Good to know. Well, thank you, Chelsea. Thank you. I know you have a lot, a lot of things to do, and make sure you put yeah. some pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give away my secret. <laughs> right. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, All right. Lama. Thank you so much. Okay.